Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. You can visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including... William Yateman, he is a research uh, fellow with the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Brad Palumbo. He is a deputy contributors editor and writer for the Washington Examiner. Sharon Kenny is the author of Where Should We Eat? And Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, will be with us as well. It is May 15th, and I think you find this kind of interesting. On this day in 1800, President John Adams ordered the federal government to pack up and leave Philadelphia to set up shop in the nation's new capital, Washington, D.C. After Congress adjourned in the last meeting in Philadelphia on May the 15th, Adams told his cabinet to make sure Congress and all federal offices were up and running smoothly in their new headquarters. By June the 15th, 1800, Philadelphia officially ceased to serve as the nation's capital on June 11th, 1800. At the time, there were only about 125 federal employees. Let me repeat that, 125 federal employees. Can you believe it? Official documents and archives were transferred from Philadelphia to the new capital by ship and over inland waterways. President and Mrs. Adams did not move into the unfinished President's Mansion until November of that year. Settling in the White House was a challenge for the First Lady in December. She wrote to a friend later. She was a prolific uh, writer of letters. She had to line dry her clothes in what eventually became the East Room of the White House. Laundry hanging in the White House. Isn't that interesting? Well, the Florida National Guard returned to Cuyahoga County next week to... uh, Uh, to provide walk-up testing for COVID-19 for residents of all ages, according to local health and department officials. The testing is free and no physical referral is necessary. Uh, The first testing site is North Collier Regional Park. That's up at 15,000 Livingston Road in North Naples. It'll be done between on Tuesday and Wednesday between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. The second testing site is South Regional Library on Lely Cultural Parkway in East Naples. And again, that's uh, Friday and Saturday, May 23rd to uh, May 22nd and 23rd from 9 to 5 p.m. 18 no COVID cases were uh, reported in Collier County. Uh, Collier death toll now has increased to 35 with one death yesterday. Uh, cases in Collier have increased to 882. 138 people in Collier have been hospitalized for the COVID-19 virus. Several of those, of course, have been uh, released. Governor Ron DeSantis said Thursday that Miami-Dade and Broward counties can begin a phase-in reopening. This is a big deal, moving all of Florida's 67 counties now into the rebuilding and economic economy staggered by the coronavirus. The uh, move came as another 221,905 Floridians were added to last week's to the state's jobless rolls. And, of course, uh, Broward and uh, Dade County and uh, Palm Beach County make, make a big deal because they, it's a, they are metropolitan centers. 
According to the U.S. Labor Department, 221,000 Floridians have uh, added to the jobless rolls last week. The state's problem-plagued online and unemployment system has received more than 1.4 million claims, and workers' advocates stepped up their demands that the governor fix the overwhelmed system. Apparently, only uh, 700,000 of those or, or so have been actually been addressed. DeSantis also indicated throughout the rest of the uh, state he would announce further softening of restrictions as early as today. Uh, Jim's looks certain to get governor's approval for reopening, and he hinted that he may expand 25% capacity now imposed on restaurants, perhaps to 50%. So that's called good news. The governor's moving forward, and he's getting high marks everywhere for how he's handling this cohesion along the, with the governor of Georgia. Uh, Golden Gate Estates, brush fire, that's spread to about 8,500 acres now with about 10% containment. It's a big deal. The fires displaced several residents and destroyed around 12 structures, although we don't know whether they're homes or not. Uh, it's uh, 75 has now opened up. But the, this fire is a big deal. Hopefully, we're looking out the window today. We might expect some rains today, and hopefully uh, that will help to quell the flames of this brush fire. Yesterday, the Dow was up about 377 points, or 1.6%. Futures are down about 100 right now. Still, the major averages remain on track for their worst weekly performance since May, March the 20th. The S&P 500 and the Dow have both lost more than 2.6% this week and the NASDAQ about 1.9%. Another 2.981 million Americans filed for unemployment benefits in the week ending May the 9th, surpassing economists' estimates of about 2.5 million. The weekly number of jobless claims has been steadily declining, even as cumulative numbers remain high, although initial jobless claims were still as high as 2,981,000 in the week ending May the 9th. The relatively modest increase in continuing claims, now this is a big deal, uh, suggests that the number of people returning to work as the lockdowns were eased was nearly as high as the number of people losing a job. So perhaps we'll begin to see a declining number of people who are on uh, unemployment. This is concerning. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said on Wednesday the reversal of economic fortune brought on by the coronavirus pan pandemic over the last two months in the United States has caused a level of pain that is hard to capture in words. Statistics, though, can help paint a clearer picture of the crisis. In the same address, Powell said the Fed has released a survey Thursday which found that among people who are working in February, nearly 40% of those in households making less than $40,000 a year have lost their jobs in March. That's a big deal. That's a tight squeeze. All told, Powell said, the scope and speed of this downturn are without modern precedent. I think we know that significantly worse than any recession since the Second World War. He also warned that the pandemic could leave lasting economic damage. We're concerned about that. That's why we need to get back to work. I think uh, just what's going to happen is even when uh, if the governor listed all sanctions, there are those going to be concerned about their health and uh, won't return to work anyhow or won't go to restaurants anyhow. So I think we can self-direct now that we've uh, come through this process and through this phase of what's going on. The uh, communications director for the Democrat National Committee sparked confusion this week after stating during the appearance on Fox News that she is... Uh, it's crucial for the party to hold its convention because, and here's a quote, they are not officially nominating Joe Biden in order to take Donald Trump. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that perhaps uh, his nomination is in jeopardy? So our convention is happening. There's business that has to happen, she said. 
The DNC rescheduled the party's July convention in August, citing coronavirus-related concerns. This week, the Rules and Bylaws Committee voted to grant convention organizers in Milwaukee the authority to design an event that won't require delegates to attend in person amid the coronavirus pandemic. So there you go. The plan, according to the DNC Chair Tom Perez, ensures that every delegate is able to accomplish their official business without putting their own health at risk, whether that it be participating in person or by other means to allow for social distancing, he said. The move effectively opens the door for a virtual convention. Uh, this communications director, <laughs> as of Thursday evening, has yet to clarify her remarks on social media. I wonder if Joe Biden is concerned about his nomination. Anyhow, he had marred his facts on Thursday during a virtual roundtable with three governors supporting his campaign. He was speaking with Ned Lamont of Democrat from Connecticut, Phil Murphy of New Jersey, and Gretchen Whitmer uh, from uh, Michigan. Biden said, we're in the middle of a pandemic that has cost us more than 85,000 jobs as of today, and millions and millions of people have died, he said. <laughs> oh, still poor Joe, still confused. The event kicked off awkwardly when Biden was introduced but wasn't notified that he was on camera and he was supposed to begin. He sat in silence for several moments and stared down at the floor. I don't know, maybe he was taking a nap before he was prompted to begin. Go ahead, sir, the aide faintly said off camera. Unbelievable. In another interview on Thursday, he claimed he didn't remember Tara Reid. Now, she's the one who's accused him of uh, sexual harassment, more than harassment, actually. There's been a poll conducted by 15 battleground states found former Vice President Joe Biden trailing President Trump in all these battleground states. The same poll conducted for CNN found Biden ahead of Trump nationally, but losing in 15 states. Those states include uh, Colorado, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Mexico, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Wisconsin. The Trump leads Biden in the polls across those states, 52 to 45 percent. Amazing stuff. So, uh, Biden, where he stands right now with his own party, I have no idea, but he certainly is in uh, jeopardy in a number, number of fronts, mainly his own jeopardy of not being able to remember anything or making <laughs> false claims about what's happening with this pandemic, among other things. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite Luxury Lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No 
reservations are needed, check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by St. Matthew's House. I encourage you to visit their businesses. Make a donation. Again, they're supporting the hung- uh, the needy, the homeless, those with uh, addictions with no government help whatsoever. So I yeah, hope you'll visit their businesses, too. It's a great way to patronize and, and help them as well. Also, I want to just mention Lulabee's Diner. Uh, Jerry Holacek and her husband and do, do a great job in supporting St. Matthew's House. So they're right there in the Green Tree Plaza. I hope you'll stop by and have breakfast or lunch at Lulubee's. Coming up, we're going to visit with Brad Palumbo with the Washington Examiner. Right now we have with us William Yateman. William is a research fellow with the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Uh, for those that may not be familiar with the Cato Institute, would you tell us about it? Indeed, we're a think tank in Washington, D.C., and we're committed to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org, great organization, think tank in Washington, D.C. So, William, I want to talk to you a little bit about this uh, uh, Flynn case, and uh, now the Department of Justice decided to drop the case, uh, and uh, everybody's <laughs> decided to drop the case except Sullivan, the uh, judge, who's decided he wants to be a political activist. It's just unbelievable what's going on. What are your thoughts? Well, it, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, we discussed, you know, we gave the background of the Flynn case uh, last week. He, in essence, as your listeners likely know well, he got railroaded by the FBI. Um, in essence, he was interviewed in order to discover a crime, which is not how the average FBI investigation goes. In the wake of uh, an internal investigation done by a, a prosecutor from St. Louis, um, that this investigation recommended that the Department of Justice drop the charges. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, Justice did that. That was a week ago. In the absence of a government prosecution, 
it would, you know, I guess the actual nuts and bolts of the government dropping the case is to file a motion to leave. And, and ultimately that requires the judge's approval on this Judge uh, Sullivan. It's in the absence of the government prosecuting, it, it, it sort of makes no sense that, that the, the judge, judge's approval would be anything but, uh, um, you know, a rubber stamp. Right. Nevertheless, a couple days ago, uh, Sullivan actually... Um, said that he's he's soon to issue an order that will call for friends of the court um, to to submit briefs that that argue against um, Flynn being you know the case being dropped um, and and it's I'll, I'll say what this is what makes it extraordinary it's not just that um, in the you know a court's oversight role it, when it comes to the state being aligned against an individual it is protecting the individual. The, the concern is more about over-prosecution than it is about under-prosecution. So yeah. uh, aside from this not making much sense at all, Sullivan has a history of, of knowing about government malfeasance in the course of investigating public figures. And here I'm talking about, uh, it, was a high, it was about a decade ago, a very high-profile prosecution of, of a senator, Ted Stevens, from Alaska, yeah. and he fought it. And it was before this very judge and at the time, after uh, it was uncovered, uh, you know, investi- investigation malfeasance by the government against this individual, Senator Stevens, Sullivan was outraged. I mean, it made big waves in legal circles at the time, the extent to which he completely, you know, gave everything in the kitchen sink to the government prosecution. Um, so it kind of blows my mind yeah. that given his intimate personal history, um, that this sort of behavior has happened in the past, that he seems so willing to, to, to fight the possibility in this circumstance. I mean, it, it doesn't make any, any sense. Yeah. You know, uh, I recall that case, and I haven't done the research on this yet. Maybe you'll recall. But as I recall, uh, this case came up when Ted Stevens was running for Senate, Senator of Alaska. Uh, the case was, dis- as I remember, the prosecutor prosecutorial uh, misconduct was charged. He was outraged. He's dismissed the case, but I believe it was after the election, if I'm not mistaken. I have to check into that. Now, the reason I mention that is because perhaps the deed was done, in other words, making sure that Stevens, as a consequence, a Democrat was elected to the senatorial seat, and... uh, uh, you know, right now, he's now being a political activist, perhaps just as he was back in the day. I'll, t- I'll say this. I don't want to assign motives to anybody, um, and especially, a, you know, a, a judge. Mm-hmm. But it was, uh, your guess is as good as mine, because it really doesn't, um, you know, in that instance, he unfaired the malfeasance and then was outraged. Mm-hmm. Here, the government owned up to it. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to accept the government's, uh, you know, ownership thereof. So, it, it, uh, again, your guess is as good as mine. I don't want to impugn his motives, but it certainly raises eyebrows. Well, yeah, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> so this is this is gonna this is going on right now, and it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty sad deal. The president now has said uh, inquired about the fate of the FO2 report on Michael Flynn. As I understand it. Uh, 302 is a summary of an interview with a, and to me, here's, here's, why don't they just review, why don't they just record the technologies available right now to record whatever the FBI decides to do, but they don't do that. What they do is they write up a quote, unquote, 302. The one on his uh, interview is missing. Isn't that suspicious? (laughs) Just, I mean, the, the, the latest suspicion, I mean, I would say, I mean, there's so much that's screwy about this case. Um, you know, Sidney Powell, the very able 
um, uh, counsel for Flynn. I mean, his original counsel was incompetent and, and was sub- subsequently relieved and replaced by Sidney Powell. Um, but she she's presented convincing evidence that, that there have been Brady violations, which is just a fancy legal term for the government is supposed to uh, 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 uncover, is supposed to allow the defendant to know all exculpatory evidence the government has in its possession. Um, or perhaps it was missing, <laughs> like this 302 report. But it is... Um, it's, I'll say this, there's so much that's so conspicuously screwy about the case that it really, you know, this is something I've harped on before, but uh, there was a time when one thing I appreciated about progressives was their distrust of, of, of you know, federal prosecutions, of an overweening um, or overbearing prosecutorial state. Here, I cannot tell you how many articles I have read from supposedly serious people who insist that everything attended to this case, this Flynn case, has been absolutely routine. Um, and it, it, I guess that's the, this is sort of a common theme in our discussions every Friday. It, it really goes to show you how far the political wells have been poisoned in this country, that um, you know, even something so obviously awful um, you know, becomes political football. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, the, the, the reply from the Democrats is saying, well, there's thousands of these uh, uh, uncoverings, what do they call it, the unmaskings. The unmaskings, yeah. <laughs> tens, tens of thousands. But how, how many of them actually happened in the, after the election and with one person? And, and of course, uh, uh, presidential candidate uh, Joe Biden's name is on that list, among others. You know, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, William Yateman, uh, research fellow with the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. Enjoyed his commentary all the time. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Brad Palumbo. He's a deputy contributors editor and writer for the Washington Examiner. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC 
ARC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Brad Palumbo. He is the Deputy Contributors Editor and Writer for The Washington Examiner. Brad, great to have you back on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, indeed. Well, you wrote a couple of really interesting pieces this week. One has to do with the uh, climate change queen, <laughs> Greta Thunberg. I guess she's from Sweden, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, she now has been has a, an important appointment with CNN. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought it was an Onion article, to be honest, when I first saw it. But uh, CNN's climate change, um, I'm sorry, coronavirus expert panel that they had on Thursday night. I saw this on Wednesday. They were putting out promotions for it, and the, the people that are hosting it or their, their main guest is a former director of the CDC, a former secretary of health and human services, and Greta Thunberg, the 17-year-old Swedish climate change activist. Now, of course, as if this needs to be said, Greta Thunberg is not even an expert on climate change. She, you know what, I'm, she's a passionate young woman and good for her, but she has no sort of education of any kind on climate change. She says things that are exaggerated or wrong frequently. She didn't even finish high school. So she's not an expert on climate change, let alone coronavirus, a totally different topic. So this was just kind of mind-boggling to see CNN going with uh, this teenage activist as an expert on their their COVID panel. Yeah, one of the things she's mastered, though, is the uh, whole notion of blaming and anger and pointing the finger. So she she does that pretty good. Maybe that's going to be her role. Yeah, I mean, she's the one who went to the United Nations and told them all that they've destroyed young people's future. And she wasn't talking about the national debt. She was talking about climate change. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it would be interesting to see what exactly their intents were, but I have to say I found it frustrating because the CNN anchors, right, and, and kind of liberal journals in general are the same people who have been telling us throughout this coronavirus process, listen to the experts. And you know what? It's true. We should obviously listen to experts on a variety of subjects and what they have to say, but don't lecture us about listening to experts and then go put Greta Thunberg, a 17-year-old teenager, on your so-called expert panel. I mean, that's just a joke. That's just beyond parody. Uh, that's a, a great comments, indeed. I agree with that, Brad. And uh, by the way, uh, some experts, uh, certainly we should listen to the experts, but I um, have serious questions about the advice coming from the CDC and others. Uh, you know, Burks, Deborah Burks, Dr. Burks saying off air in a moment of anger to the, I guess, Robert Redfield, if I'm not mistaken, the, the head of the CDC. I can't believe anything that comes out of your organization. <laughs> so that perhaps is at, at question as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you have experts on either side of this issue. Uh, and it's important to listen to them all. And it's important to listen to not just public health experts like Dr. Burks, but also economists. Uh, and so that should all be considered. And the differing opinions of experts should be weighed against each other. But you know who doesn't need to be weighed? 17-year-old climate change activist. That's right. <laughs> so interesting. Well, you may recall that one of the people they were fawning over was Avenatti before they sent him off to prison. So <laughs> they, they, they make some pretty bad decisions with regard to the, the advice they get. So, uh, you know, you wrote another column about uh, how voters are feeling about uh, China's role in this pandemic. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a conservative journalist. I run in conservative Republican circles. So I knew that conservatives and Republicans were pretty much blaming China for coronavirus, at least in part. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know was that actually almost everyone agrees with that position now, even in both parties and even kind of the American public at large. So a new poll out this week showed that 67 people view China as our competitor or our enemy, and that 70% believe that China is responsible for the coronavirus. Hmm. Now, I thought this was very interesting because it shows kind of a bipartisan conclusion, but also it shows, first off, I think they're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, we could have done things better. Uh, the CDC and FDA botched testing here, um, but obviously this came from China, and it would never have... Uh, spread worldwide if they hadn't tried to cover it up. So the American people are right about this poll. It's my first takeaway. But I also find it kind of hilarious because liberal journalists, I mean, I've seen op-eds all across the liberal media have told us that it is racist to yeah. blame China. And honestly, everyone in America is basically, based on this poll, rolling their eyes at that and then going with the facts anyway. Yeah, I mean, didn't uh, Cuomo, for example, on, on TV suggest that it was the German virus or German? <laughs> it said European, I Euro think. Which, European, that's right. Which is pandering. Yeah, it's just uh, hilarious, actually. So uh, the president himself, I think, made a comment that he's actually considering withdrawing his relationship or our relationship with China, which would have tremendous economic impact. Now, I recognize that's his style of negotiating. Uh, you know, it's, he's good guy, bad guy at the same time in many cases. But, uh, you know, we're at a critical point here with uh, what we're going to be doing with China. Absolutely. And one of the interesting things of these, this poll was that it didn't just ask about China, it asked about specific policy reactions. Mm -hmm. And if Trump wanted to do something like that, he would actually have some substantial support from voters. But I have to say, from my perspective, some of the options for penalizing China are better than others. Mm -hmm. So, for example, one of the ones that people supported in the survey was refusing to pay the interest on our debt to China. And I totally get the appeal of that, but mm -hmm. because, I mean, stick it to them, right? Right. But in reality, what that would do is our credit rating would suffer, and then all the rest of our debt that our grandchildren have to pay off would be even more expensive for them because they'd have to pay higher interest rates. Absolutely. So that's probably not a great idea. At the same time, I mean, there's this interesting conversation over decoupling our kind of economy with China. And I think everyone agrees pretty much that China is a bad actor and that we want to, however possible, stop doing business with them. But there's two different ways to do that. Mm -hmm. One would be to slap, that, slap tariffs on everything they sell and shut down our economic border with them. Uh, but that would have a lot of costs. 
that would hurt American businesses and hurt American consumers. Mm. You can debate whether it's worth it, but it would have a lot of heavy costs. But alternative ideas do exist. So, for example, if you sign free trade agreements with countries like India or Vietnam or South Korea and then shifted a lot of that production that's in China there, then you could achieve the same result without some of the same costs. So it'll be interesting to see where this punish China mentality takes us. And in my opinion, there's different levels of uh, merit to the different options that are being considered. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, part of this is the the poll of public opinion is very important here, too, because uh, uh, but in a sense, uh, this is not only affecting how Americans uh, feel about uh, China, but also around the world. I think it's dampened their enthusiasm for doing business with China as well. So I think the president's on the right track. He can certainly make the claims we're not going to do business with China. But I think that might be posturing and preening for the rest of the world as much as for America. American voters. Yeah, it might be, and it's and it, if it is, then there's nothing wrong with it. Right. I mean, when you're in a negotiation, you have to stake out bigger stances than what you actually think you're going to do. Right. Uh, so, what I would like to see is some sort of accountability for China. I mean, they they censored journalists, they disappeared doctors who wanted to speak out about coronavirus. Something's really got to be done because. I was not, I'm late to the China train, frankly. It took me a while to realize just how big a threat Mm -hmm. that they are to free society and to the world. Uh, And people were saying it long before me, and I was like, okay, yeah, but I'm more worried about Russia or this or that. Uh, No, China's a really big deal. And if this coronavirus doesn't show us the problems with communism and with authoritarian nations like that i don't know what will well and and there's a distinction between the chinese people and the communist uh, chinese communist party which is a relatively small percentage of uh, the chinese people these people yeah i mean these people are just uh they they murder they'll do whatever they need to do in order to gain uh yeah they they steal our stuff they don't play fair so uh you know you're absolutely right and uh, i think this has just been an important time in our relationship with China, maybe some of the good that's coming out of this coronavirus episode is uh, is un- unveiling uh, our problems with China. Yeah, maybe it is, and I completely agree with your sentiment too about the Chinese people are not to blame. If anything, they're a victim right. of this communist party and this regime, and that's why I think it is true in the in the sense that it would be racist if people were blaming Chinese people or Asian Americans for this, but basically no one's doing that, right? We're blaming the Chinese Communist Party regime, and we're blaming them because they are to blame. So I think that is um, perfectly fair, and I'm just glad that we're all starting to see how big a threat China is and now we've got to have a very complicated conversation about what to do about it. Absolutely. Uh, Brad Colum- Palumbo, again, uh, deputy contributor editor and writer for a great resource. Uh, I look at it every day, the Washington Examiner. You can go to WashingtonExaminer.com. Brad, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Sharon Kenny, the author of Where Should We Eat? We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog Two Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog Two Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog Two Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Sharon Kenny. She wrote a book. She's, her book is Where Should We Eat? She also writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Okay, great to talk to you, Bob. You as well, Sharon. So uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel, is there not, with regard to dining and restaurants? Well, things seem to be getting better in the dining space. For those of us who like to go to restaurants a lot, that's is all good news. Um, as you know, in phase one of um, the reopening of Florida, Governor DeSantis had uh, limited restaurants to 25% occupancy inside mm-hmm. and then uh, unlimited seating outside, but with the restrictions of the six feet distancing between tables. So, there, you know, restaurants have been struggling with that. That works for some, but doesn't work for others. And some of the cities in Florida have been very, very helpful. Tampa, for example, um, suspended all code requirements for restaurants for outside tables, which enabled restaurants to just, you know, put tables basically wherever they could in their outside areas, be it on sidewalks or patios or things, without asking for permits. Um, in for a two-week period, so it was a very, I thought, a very smart way to go with mm-hmm. Tampa, and they also closed down a number of city streets so the restaurants could go there. So a variety of cities in Florida are using that model and doing a variety of things similar to that. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing restaurants having more outdoor areas. However, the weather has been horrible, especially here in Naples with the, with the fires. My gosh, who can sit outside when it, <laughs> yeah. you feel like you're in the middle of a bonfire? It's so true. In fact, I was talking to the mayor the other day, yesterday actually, and he said that he was out grilling the, that, that night. 
the night before on Wednesday night. He said it was almost like it was snowing because the embers were coming down, ashes were coming down in the backyard. So, uh, and then, you know, there's certainly the odor or the smell of uh, smoke in the air. So, and uh, you know what? It's I guess that fire is still raging right now. Could it's going to continue? Yes, and I don't know if they've reopened 75, but I know they closed Highway 75 for a while. Yeah. But anyway, the light at the end of the tunnel is there are rumors that Phase 2 is going to be announced by um, Governor DeSantis next week for restaurants, which would take them up to at least 50% occupancy on the inside, and that will help. Maybe he'll even make it even more so, which, uh, you know, the problem is restaurants at 25% inside, and with the weather being bad outside, it's hard for them to make it go. Um, And a lot of them are still having the takeout and delivery service. But um, again, long term, that's not going to sustain them. But I can also give you an update on Miami Beach, if you want, because I know there's been a lot of concern about people from Miami coming over uh, to Naples. Yeah. So the Miami, uh, so when Governor DeSantis lifted um, or went to phase one, he excluded Miami Beach, uh, Miami-Dade County, Broward County, and Palm Beach County right. um, for various reasons. Uh, Miami-Dade County was one of the areas, the only area in Florida, really, that had a significant number of COVID cases. Um, and he even cited it himself. It was from the New York and New Jersey people that all ran down to Miami. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that, not being the case, that being the case, Palm Beach County did apply for or ask Governor DeSantis to lift their um, that restriction early because they felt like they could open up earlier. So they apparently have been able to open up phase one, but Broward and Miami-Dade have not, but they are now opening in various phases, some of their buildings, some of their offices, some of their businesses, except for Miami Beach. Yeah. Miami Beach is it's a city unto itself, you know, and it's a barrier island, and it is the focus of so much tourism. And they have made, and we were always, there were rumors about this, but there was never any confirmation. They were waiting until after Memorial Day weekend. Hmm. And they have already made that announcement that after Memorial Weekend, restaurants will be allowed to open up with the rules, of course, of distancing and and that, and that um, businesses and uh, some other, you know, the stores will be able to open, but they're waiting until after Memorial Weekend, which has been a notoriously... Um, crowded weekend yeah. in Miami Beach for years and years, and the the uh, city has struggled with how to handle Memorial Weekend crowds in the past, and so the rumor was that they didn't want to open until after that because they didn't want to have to deal with the crowds. <laughs> Poor businesses. I'm sure they count on that. That business is so important to them. I will say that uh, I've been to uh, restaurants a couple times. In fact, we were with friends the other night at Blue Provence, and it felt very normal. Even the tables are more more separated, but you know the din is so pleasant to be among people and uh, doing getting back to normal. I guess is my thought about that is uh, to, to sit there and not only enjoy yourself with good company and good great food, but also uh, just hearing that other people are having a good time. It's so, it's so important to who we are and what we do. Well, isn't that the truth? And, you know, we are very lucky here in that we have been able to do that, and we have the beautiful weather um, that enables us to do that, but there are still lots of parts of the country that are getting horrible weather, that can't sit outside, that are still under, you know, all sorts of restrictions. We have been so spoiled here, and yet we appreciate it 
so much. I know I had my, where were you, where was your first meal after the, the, the lifting? I, my first meal out was at Sea Salt, uh, on the patio at Sea Salt, and uh. I agree with you. It just, it felt almost like the past couple of months had been a bad dream. And it's exactly right. Well, uh, the governor again announced, he has he announced yesterday that he's opening up for two phase one, uh, both uh, the counties that you mentioned, uh, Broward, Dade County, and uh, as well, I don't think you mentioned Palm Beach, but irrespective, uh, it's going to be good if they can get back to normal because I think that'll bring less traffic from the East Coast to the West Coast here, which I guess has been a concern for uh, health officials here in in, uh, in Naples. Well, it's been a concern. I was uh, last Saturday. I was driving around. I didn't go to the beach, but last Saturday um, I was driving around Old Naples, and yeah, there was parking everywhere, um, and you could see why. I mean, and, and because. We were open, um, we have a beautiful beach, and it's only a two-hour drive over from Miami. And so um, that's a huge, it's not just Miami, of course, it's Fort Lauderdale, it's Palm Beach, it's mm-hmm. all those areas that people are coming from. And um, at the same time, we don't want to get a reputation for being unfriendly or unwelcoming, especially Ab- during these times. Absolutely. Well, we need the business, don't we? We count on that tourism and from the East Coast as well, not only from other parts of the world and from the North, but uh, from the East Coast as well. Uh, Karen- well, and also I think that for this next year, um, as travel restrictions are, shall we say, uncertain um, in terms of people flying and stuff, I think we're going to need to count on our fellow Floridians yeah. as our main tourists. You know what? That's a great point. Uh, more staycations, that type of thing. Absolutely. Sharon Kenny, again, the author of Where Should We Eat? Well, you've had a little extra time on your, uh, on your hands, uh, Sharon. You Have you updated your phrase the next edition coming out soon? Well, I'm going to wait until this all settles out and see who, um, well, I don't want to say see who's left, but let's just see how we go. Okay, Sharon. (laughs) Genuinely appreciate you going on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to talk to you, Bob, as always. Thank you so much, Sharon. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. 
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and great season lined up for next year as well as great education programs going on. You can visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Dave Bigo. Dave is the president, CEO, founder of Executive Management Services, now celebrating over 30 years in business. Uh, Dave's got about 6,000 employees and uh, doing business this is in uh, 40 states. Uh, well, he was assaulted by the SEIU union bosses. They asked him to sign a neutrality agreement. He wouldn't do it. He said, if you're going to uh, unionize my shop, you're going to have to do it through secret ballot. Well, they, uh, they were onslaught of dirty tricks and <laughs> all kinds of mischief went on for two and a half years. Dave prevailed, and they went away like rats on a sinking ship. Dave Beagle wrote a book about it. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is a great read. You can't believe what you're reading. I highly recommend it. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. I appreciate it and hope uh, uh, you're doing well down in Florida. We're doing great. I know you're up in Indianapolis, if I'm not mistaken. I hope everything's okay up there. Uh, yeah, we're starting to get warmer. We were in the high 70s yesterday. It's supposed to be in the mid-70s today, but we're getting lots of rain. Uh, that's too bad. Well, we're looking at rain here coming up this weekend, apparently from a offshore tropical depression. So uh, we'll see how that all turns out. So, Dave, uh, we're in this pandemic. I know the unions are active and probably trying to figure out how they can, how they can uh, vitalize or how they can uh, uh, benefit from this crisis, pandemic crisis. What are you seeing right now? Uh, it's it's really amazing. They're out there. Um, uh, trying to organize and go after and do things for, um, you know, all across the country and all, in all different venues and, uh, and businesses and that. And, uh, one of the interesting ones is that, um, the Teamsters just organized, uh, um, Biden's campaign campaign people. And, um, so they'll, uh, they'll all be unionized for the um, rest of his campaign uh, going into the presidential election. And, um, you know, Biden has agreed to it. That's and, amazing. Uh, that's part. That's part of the Democratic Party's, uh, uh, you know, practice because the uh, unions, um, you know, they they pour most of their money into the Democratic Party. So, out of curiosity, I know you follow this stuff. Uh, yesterday, the communications director got on uh, the air with CNN, I believe it was, and uh, she said 
that, uh, well, we're not sure if Biden's going to be, I'm paraphrasing now, but she said, I'm not sure we're, we, we have to get, have a convention in Milwaukee. We have to do it because there's, uh, we, we, we're not sure that Biden's going to be the person elected. I'm not sure that what the language was. But anyhow, um, there's a lot of confusion going on with regard to what's happening in the Democrat Party right now. Yeah, there is. I mean, Biden, you know, he's sitting in his basement all the time and, uh, you know, people aren't hearing a whole lot from him. And, you know, when you do hear stuff, he tends to have uh, glitches and that's a problem. And um, but I still think, um, you know, the Democratic Party is looking at somebody like Bernie Sanders looks too far left for them. They they know they won't get a lot of voters to vote for him. But Biden's kind of a, you know, middle of the road type of guy for the Democratic Party. And I think they just want to get him elected, but have people behind the scenes in the um, vice presidency. Um, you know, it could be um, um, one of these ladies that they're talking about. And if they do, I think the ladies will be the, the true president. Well, or the, he'll be the lapdog of the, the mouthpiece for what's going on, but he'll get direction from others on, on where to go and what to do. I think you're absolutely right about that. It's 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 really appalling what's happening politically in the Democrat. The Democrat Party used to stand up for the little guy, used to be concerned about uh, rights of people, about uh, uh, misprosecution. It's all reverse trend right now. They take money from big from the uh, unions. They take money yeah. from the uh, p- folks in San Francisco area and in uh, big tech they don't seem to be concerned about the little guy anymore no it's it's all about them and their control and um, i know people probably get tired of hearing me saying this but at the end of the day is they just want to bring this country down and turn it into a socialist communistic country and uh, people in america need to wake up to that fact because uh, these people in the far left um, the deep state the far left uh, the union bosses they don't know how to operate, be successful in a free market society, and so they just want to turn it into one that they can, they can control and run and do what they want. Absolutely. Did you see Nancy Pelosi's uh, menu? It was aspirational $3 trillion uh, bill that she she's proposing now with absolutely no input. It's basically coming from uh, lobbyists is, is where this information is coming from, but basically she wants to give money out to uh, illegal aliens. Uh, she wants to have uh, just a myriad of things that make absolutely no sense in a free economy. Well, that's right, and that's um, uh, this is all part of their agenda is to, to put stuff out there that um, you know um, they can get people brainwashed to vote for them because, oh, I'll get this and I'll get that and you know, if you go back and read my book, they did the same thing uh, with our employees and, and that going out saying, yeah, we'll get you this and we'll get you that. And the truth of the matter is they just throw this stuff out there and uh, they're not being honest about it because uh, at the end of the day, all they do want to do is get in power. And after that, they don't care what the people get. I think that's absolutely true. And there's a lot of swamp creatures, too, in the Republican Party. I, I, I do want to mention this. I, I don't know what you think of Lindsey Graham, but uh, he's been saying now for two and a half years, three years, that he's going to hold subcommittee, or at least uh, he's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and he's going to hold hearings. Well, he never has. He doesn't do anything. Now he says he's going to hold a hearing about, uh, hearing about this crossfire hurricane, the FBI's, you know, uh, what's been uncovered now with regard to Michael Flynn. So what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I've met Lindsay. It, you know, when my book first came out, I spent a lot of time in Washington. I spoke to the House and the Senate and, you know, other things there. And, 
and I got to meet a lot of these people. Is Lindsey Graham a nice guy? If you meet him personally, yeah, he is. But the problem is, Bob, and, and this is true not just with him, but in a lot of the members of the Republican Senate and um, the House Senate, uh, is they don't have the backbone to stand up to these people. And um, they're out there, they like to say these things, and, you know, they're going to do this, and uh, thinking they can get into the, the heads of the unions and the, and the far-left Democrats. But that's not the case. Um, if uh, you're going to stop these people, you've got to stand up and ask some backbone and do the things you say you're going to do. All right, absolutely. And uh, so uh, to me, it just appears that the President Trump is really on his own to a large degree. And while, um, well, you certainly have Mitch McConnell and others, I just wonder if the support is really sincere. I mean, I, I think it's gotten a lot better in the last three years, but I still see him in <laughs> trying to drain the swamp, and it looks like he's on his own. Yeah, he is, but um, I think that, uh, you know, the majority of Americans understand what the left is trying to do, and they don't like what they're they're pushing and what they're going after and what the unions are doing, and, uh, you know, I think that's um, uh, good stuff. So um, I, I, I really think when it comes down to uh, uh, the presidential candidates debating, going uh, after each other, I think he'll... He'll step up and, and look even better. Uh, well, I would agree with that. A couple of canaries in the coal mine, actually. Of uh, the, uh, the vote in in California to, I think it was District Twenty Five, if I'm not mistaken, to elect a Republican in what was a, a Democrat district. So uh, the good news there. There was also a victory, if I'm not mistaken, in Wisconsin. So that. Uh, or wasn't Michigan, I forget now, but there are special elections that were being held to, to replace people who are no longer in Congress. So maybe that's an indication that people are getting fed up with the, with the program and with the platform of the Democrats. Well, I think so. And, um, you know, if you looked at it before this pandemic came in, we had one of the most thriving economies in our history. And um, Trump was doing a lot of things. And, uh, um, and we need to get back to that. And... Uh, but the unions and, and Pelosi and, and the rest of them, they want to keep this pandemic in place because they want to keep the country closed down so they can run it. And uh, it's really sad, and I think people are waking up to that, too. I believe so. Uh, I'm going to just recommend your book. Uh, go to the, the com. Get a copy of the book. You can also get a copy of the book on my website, uh, bobharden.com, at a nice discount, and of course at any book purveyor as well. W- when you read the book, The Devil at Our Doorstep, you won't believe what you're what you're seeing. And of course, it it pretty much is an outline of the script of how the Democrats operate in terms of gaining political power. The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, and uh, hope you have a great weekend and. Uh Uh, some sunny skies. I hope we do at some point, too. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. If you enjoyed it, by the way, uh, I do have a newsletter I send out after each show, and I'd love to have you on the list. If you're not currently receiving it, just send me an email at bobharden.com. Also, the best way to, to find out about the show is for you to tell your friends if you like what you're hearing. You might encourage them to just uh, listen to The Bob Harden Show. You can do it on a number of podcast platforms as well as on my website, Listen Live 7 to 8. Of course, most people are listening to the podcast after the 8 o'clock hour. I post it right after 
the uh, show. So, again, send me an email at bobharden.com. Always appreciate your comments. Hope you'll join us on Monday. We're going to visit with uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current world events. We'll visit with Larry Reed, and he is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books, his latest, Shake the Money Tree. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>